This is a difficult day for me because I had to face one of my most shameful memories in my life. It perhaps, perhaps is the most shameful memory that I have. It was a time that I was a predator. And the reason why I had to face this memory today, a memory that I have preferred to try and forget, because I was reading a portion of scripture, that is the portion of scripture selected for the lectionary today, in which the Apostle Paul acknowledges that he too was a predator. If you think about nature, if you're like me, you probably uh, feel closer to God when you're in nature. If you're outside and there are picturesque scenes of mountains and the sun, and it's, the sun is reflecting just in the most pleasing way that day, probably lifts your soul to God, or being around non-human animals perhaps uh, makes you feel closer to God. That is the case for me. We have many non-human animals in the house. We have a dog named Rocky who's 70 pounds. We have a uh, dog named Daisy who's a pit mix, 50 pounds. And we have a little dog named Scotia, a Boston Terrier. She's just 18 pounds. Now I was reminded this week of uh, two truths about nature. So I, I often reflect on that aspect of nature and uh, our relationship to God that's reflected in Psalms where, where sometimes they talk about the trees singing with joy to God. So non-human nature expressing praise to God. But nature, if it sings with joy, it also sometimes screams with groaning. And that happened this week. We were letting Daisy and Scotia out in the backyard to do their business. At the end of the day, Rocky had not gone out yet. And I heard screaming and they came running back in the house and little Scotia, obviously, I don't know what kind of animal they encountered back there, but they encountered an animal that was fierce enough to be able to scratch Scotia's eye and she couldn't, uh, she couldn't open her left eye. She looked like a boxer who'd gone 12 rounds of fierce fighting and she was super scared as well. She just wanted to get under the covers. And uh, at one point when I just was checking out her eye, she got so nervous that she went under the the couch. So for us, dogs are often beloved pets, but in uh, biblical times, dogs were verminous. They could carry diseases, they were often out in the streets, and you had to be careful of them. So this is the context for Paul writing in a New Testament book called Philippians chapter 3, and he's writing to a Christian community, and he's telling them to beware of dogs. Beware of wild, verminous animals. Chapter 3, beginning in verse 2, he says, Beware of the dogs. Beware of the evil workers. Beware of those who mutilate the flesh. What's he talking about? Who are the evil workers? Who are these dogs that mutilate the flesh? Well, to answer that, we need to go back to Paul's understanding of salvation history. In Paul's view, the Hebrew people were to be a light to the broader world. God gives instructions to the Hebrew people. Uh, the foundational instruction is love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. So vertical, horizontal. Love God, love people. That's the core foundation of instructions from God, instructions that God gives to the Hebrew people. And then there are other particular instructions about how to work out love for God and love for people in various aspects of day-to-day -day life. 
the combination of all these kinds of instructions is what Paul calls the law. So the Hebrew people are given these instructions to be a light to the broader world so that they can bring God's love to everyone. So it's important for Hebrew people or the ancient Israelites, people who eventually become known as Jews, to remember their ancestry, to remember that they're part of this line of people who had received God's law. This pre these precious instructions, love instructions, being in love with God and loving people. Remember that there are many who have come before you who have passed this law down to you. Remember your ancestry. So the law was a great thing. Remembering your ancestry was a terrific thing. It was an important part of being in relationship with God. But its intended purpose was to bring light to the broader world. So if you think about the intended purpose of a hammer, a hammer can build something that provides shelter to many people, maybe to many people and non-human animals. So that hammer can build, it construct for purposes of love. Of course, the same tool can be used to divide. The same tool can be used to wound. And Paul says that eventually people were starting to use these good things that had a good purpose, the law and this pride in ancestry, they were using it for destructive purposes. They were using it not to bring light to many people, not to draw in uh, inclusion into God's broad refuge that God offers, but to divide communities, diverse communities. How did this happen? Well, Paul says that with Jesus, there was continuity and discontinuity. Jesus, when Jesus comes, he's preaching that same law. He's saying, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. But there is something also radically new and distinct about Jesus' life, death, resurrection, and ascension. God was saying that now the way to bring light to the world is to focus on this gift I have offered in Christ. On Jesus' teaching, Jesus' death, resurrection, and ascension. This is a gift of salvation for all people. And the way that Paul articulated this allowed Jews and non-Jews, non-Jews were called Gentiles, to worship together in the same kind of community. Jews, had, they came from that line of Hebrew people or ancient Israelites who had been given unique symbolic markers to designate their loving relationship with God. So for Hebrew people, ancient Israelites, people who became Jews, eventually were called Jews, God said for the men, for the males, usually at infancy, that they were to be circumcised. That is, the foreskin of their penis was to be removed. This would be a visible, symbolic uh, reminder and marker of being in relationship with God and being unique and distinct to the extent that they were specially called out to bring light to the broader world. Once Paul establishes these Christian communities that have both Jews and Gentiles in it, there were some groups of people who were saying, Paul, you can't just let non-Jews come in and be in relationship with God without them taking on the symbolic markers that God had established. Circumcision wasn't the only one, but it's the one he mentions here, so that's the one we're focusing on. In other words, non 
Jews, Gentiles, who want to be in relationship with God via this gift that God has given in the death, resurrection, ascension of Jesus, they've got to be circumcised too. And Paul is saying that this idea is so destructive that those people who are coming into mixed Christian communities where you have Jewish Christians and you have Gentile Christians and where they're saying, hey, Gentiles, you have to become Jews to follow God. Uh, Paul is saying that they're so destructive that he calls them dogs, that they're like verminous. They're bringing carriers of disease and division. And then Paul goes after them and he says, hey, if, you, if that's your criteria of salvation, I can match criteria with you. So Paul goes on and he says, actually, he says, in terms of these people who are focused so much on circumcision, saying that these Gentile Christians have to get circumcised and follow other parts of the law, distinct elements, some of which were distinct to the Hebrew people, that God didn't intend for everyone to uh, follow or to embrace. Paul says, those who follow God are circumcised, symbolically, even if they haven't been physically. So he says, beware of the dogs, beware of the evil workers, beware of those who mutilate the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, Paul says, who worship in the spirit of God and boast in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh, even though I too have reason for confidence in the flesh. Okay, he's saying to the dogs, you want to you say, uh, let's, let's match criteria, let's compare who's worthy of salvation? Well, here we go. Paul says, I can do that. If you want to do that, if anyone else has reason to be confident in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day. Okay, it's all about circumcision for you. Okay, I'm circumcised, he says. A member of the people of Israel. Paul is not only a member of the people of Israel, he's a member of one of the most elite tribes of Israel. He says he's of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews. As to the law, a Pharisee, that is, a person who took great care in studying the law, the instructions of God, the loving instructions of God, and teaching those loving instructions to others. And then, almost in an offhand way, Paul says he was a predator. He says, as to zeal, I was a persecutor of the church. So Paul was ordering the murder of Christians initially, before he had a dramatic encounter with Jesus himself. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. But it's not righteousness under the law anymore in Paul's view that counts. It's faith and belief in Jesus. Now here I want to pause for one quick second. It's a little bit of a digression, but I think it's important from a Christian perspective to remember that just as a hammer, a tool can be used to build and construct a refuge for many people and create a loving environment, it can be used as a weapon. Our scriptures as Christians have been used historically as a weapon against Jews. And specifically the idea that Jews killed Jesus, deicide, or that Jewish and or that Jewish religion is in some way inferior to Christianity. You need to remember that Paul is speaking to specific kinds of Jewish Christians who are disrupting the inclusive Christian communities that he has established. So Jews today are some of the most loving people extending light and love to non-Jewish people. You want to uh, read the civil about the civil rights movement in the United States 
and the number of Jews who are in the forefront of seeking love and justice for other people, of being a light to the nations. Today, in context of Islamophobia, many Jews, especially in the United States, see it as an essential part of being a Jew is to seek justice and love and mercy for other people and especially oppressed people. So to protect Muslim people when they're facing persecution. So that's a little bit of a side note, but just remember when you read Christian scriptures, it's really important to keep in mind that the Christian scriptures have been used as a hammer of destruction rather than a hammer that builds an inclusive setting for all people. Now, back to Paul's main point. He says, he's lists all this criteria, and then he says, yet whatever gains I had, these I have come to regard as loss because of Christ. So all of that criteria that this particular group was saying everyone else had to uh, uphold and adhere to, Paul could live up to all that criteria and then some, but he was saying compared to knowing Christ, that stuff I counted as loss. I'm adding up what's in my gain column and what's in my loss column, everything, every kind of credential, everything that I think brings me salvation or worthiness apart from this gift of God uh, that is Christ, count it all as loss, Paul says. Yet whatever gains I had, these I have come to regard as loss because of Christ. More than that, I regard everything as loss because of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things, and I regard them as rubbish. Some translations say I regard them as dung, in order that I may, or crap is our more contemporary word here, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, as important as that was, but one that comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the sharing of his sufferings by becoming like him in his death. How do we become like Jesus in his death? Well, let's go back to what Jesus does during his death. There are sometimes, um, sometimes see when you're looking at the sayings of Jesus while he's on the cross, Sometimes those are summarized as seven sayings. So there's different things that Jesus says in different gospels. Three of the seven have to do with extending God's love beyond traditional boundaries. Jesus prays for forgiveness for those who are participating in his crucifixion. Extending God's love and mercy. I used to read that and think that the main point there was Jesus looks really good and these bad people look even worse because Jesus is so good that he forgives them. Uh, but actually, one of the main points is these people are forgiven. That is good news for us. It's good news for a predator like me. What am I talking about? Again, we're going to get to it. So Jesus says uh, he forgives the people who are crucifying him. He also extends the notion of family. He turns at one point while he's on the cross and turns to a, the beloved disciple John and turns to his mother Mary and he says to John, behold your mother. And he says to Mary, behold your son. He's creating new kinds of kinship, new kinds of family connection that surpass the traditional lines 
of family boundaries, extending God's love. So first, he forgives people who are crucifying him. He extends God's love by redefining family and on the cross with a criminal who acknowledges Jesus as someone special, as someone important, as a king. Jesus says, you today will be with me in paradise. Forgiveness, love, a continual extension of God's loving boundaries. And here I get to the part where I was a predator. I uh, was in high school and some friends were driving in the car and I was in, I was one of the passengers. They drove up to this area in Halifax where I'm from in Nova Scotia, Canada, to a place called Citadel Hill, which is like an ancient fortress that is now primarily a tourist attraction in many respects. But it also at this time was a place where many gay men would meet at night. And so my friends and I were driving in this car and although I didn't carry out the act itself, I cheered it on and laughed as various friends picked up eggs and threw these eggs at the, these gay men. And we did this on multiple occasions. I'm so ashamed of having participated in that predatory kind of activity where we were, in a sense, hunting out gay men to shame them and humiliate them by throwing these eggs. Even though I didn't do the throwing, I was participating. I was laughing about it. The Apostle Paul was ordering the persecution of Christians. So ashamed about this that I, I told my wife about this today. And I also told the Christian denomination that I belong to, which is called the Convergent Christian Communion. And we are an intentionally inclusive communion. So before, when I was talking about that analogy of uh, some of the Jewish Christians saying that the Gentiles had to become Jews in order to worship God, and then eventually Paul was saying, no, they don't, that you can have unity in diversity. We would be the kind of communion that says LGBTQ people do not have to become straight to worship God. In fact, our presiding bishop is a gay man who, who is married to another man. Most compassionate, merciful, prayerful person I've ever met in my life. At least one of the most compassionate and prayerful people I've ever met in my life. So what kind of answer is there for me? What refuge can I take? Someone who recognizes my past behavior as being predatorial. It's the same defense that this predator, the Apostle Paul, had. It's this. Not that I've already obtained this or have already reached the goal of attaining the resurrection through Jesus, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Beloved, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but this one thing I do, this is the one thing I can do in the face of that shameful part of my past, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the heavenly call of God in Christ Jesus. That meant repentance today for me. It meant turning from that past, acknowledging it, 
and turning full-heartedly away from that past, presenting to fellow priests and bishops and pastors in the convergent Christian community this reality of my past, uh, acknowledging it. And then it's really interesting what God does because Jesus uh, overturns uh, tables in, in the temple and in the same way Jesus creates the kind of upheaval where the downtrodden are blessed. He turns the tables in life, the social tables. God has a bias for the poor and the oppressed and that's expressed in the ministry of Jesus. So what could have happened there is I was a predator by participating in those shameful acts against LGBTQ people, gay men in particular in this case. So what would happen if, if, if uh, the predatorial behavior was to continue is that the flipping would involve me becoming prey and someone else becoming a predator. But do you know what happens in the kingdom of God? This is what happened today. For me, when I shared that, a gay man who's a priest, pastor in the, Christian, in the Convergent Christian Communion, the CCC, this communion that I belong to, he said to me, brother, you are forgiven in the name of Jesus. And in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, I absolve you of your sins. A power that he knows comes from Christ. A power that comes from the death and resurrection and ascension and these loving teachings of loving God and loving your neighbor. And in love, he said, I'm so glad that you are with me. This is what we press on to. Why is there predatorial behavior in our world? It's because oftentimes people think that for me to get ahead, someone else has to be pulled behind. For me to feel special, someone else has to feel miserable. For me to win, someone else has to lose. But this is not the message of God in Christ. What are we pressing on to? What's the vision in the new age to come? It is an end to predation. This is found in Isaiah and it's chapter 11, verse 6, where the prophet imagines this future where there's no more predation. The wolf shall live with the lamb. The leopard shall lie down with the kid, the calf and the lion and the fatling together, and a little child shall lead them. Pope Francis says this, to care for the world in which we live means to care for ourselves. It does. We need to care for ourselves and love ourselves, be concerned uh, to a certain extent with doing what we can to preserve our own existence. Yet we need to think of ourselves more and more as a single family, dwelling in a common home. What do we do? We forget that which lies behind and we press on to that goal. And so just as I received grace, that is getting more than I deserve, and I received mercy, not getting what I deserved according to my faults and my wrongdoings and my predation. Just as I received blessed forgiveness through the mouthpiece of one of God's chosen instruments, through this gay priest in our own tradition, so too by power that's vested in me, although a broken, sinful 
vessel, I say to you today that because of the power of God, may the blessing of God Almighty, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit be upon you and remain with you always. Amen.